Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the J. Berg Wilk Learning Series for 2017-2018. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. the question that you're all wondering about at the very beginning because if we don't get this out of the way it's going to haunt you for the rest of the night the answer to the first question is six foot five and the answer to the second question is no what is the second question do you play basketball the answer is no they not even volleyball no, the, the story about me and sports is really very simple, which is that when I was in high school, the basketball coach took one look at me, and I was tall and skinny and lanky with long legs, and he said, I want to talk to you about being on the basketball team. I said, oh, no, sir, no. No, I want to be a reform rabbi. <laughs> I want to write books about bar, bar mitzvah, masculinity, Israel. I want to... <laughs> go around the country, I want to teach about this stuff. I'll cut the crap. So with legs like yours, you should be a basketball player. So he saw me play basketball. He called me into his office and he said, Salkin, I want to talk to you about a career in the reform rabbinate. <laughs> so I'm glad we could get that out of the way. But there is a second reason why I never became the athlete that my physique would have allowed me to be. And this is an unveiled reference to the struggle that we have with ourselves as parents, and it is that simply my parents never valued it. So they never encouraged it. They never thought it was important. I just want to put that in front of you. Second thing I want to do is this. I'd like us to take seven minutes or eight minutes for me to get to know you, and I would like to hear from some of you your reflection on the following question. As I think about my child, we're going to get to the question, the vocabulary of this a little bit later, the bar, bat mitzvah, the thing that concerns me the most is, the thing that concerns me the most is, would like to share with us in this safe place, what their concerns are. Yes, sir. Well, I think the reason why we're here, will, will he get any meaning out of it? Thank you. What is your name? Garrett. Garrett. Thank you, Garrett. Other responses? Yes. Um, I, I think one thing I worry about is, is this going to be the end for them? Are they going to want to continue on independently without me having to force it? Not that I force it. Some of you of a certain age or your parents or grandparents remember a very, very mediocre song by Peggy Lee. Is that all there is? 
boy, am I dating myself. Yes? So, um, my daughter is very uh, questioning Judaism and doesn't think she believes in God, and so I'm worried that she is going to be more rebellious. These are wonderful. The God thing. Okay. Other cons. Yes? Other, yes, sir. Craig. You all, you all know the Yiddish word for average? Gifted. <laughs> it's important for you to know that. There's a, uh, my next book is a book uh, called Not So Smart, and it's a, it's a history of Jewish kids who were not gifted, and it, it's really small. Really small, really small book. Other questions? Concerned? We could spend a week on these. Yes? Um, I'm concerned that she's only doing it for me and not for herself. We, yes. I'm sorry, yes, Rabbi. So I, I, maybe this is the, the other thing nobody wants to say, but I had someone in my office as recently as the last hour who expressed concern about the expense. So perhaps now we can begin. I would like volunteers to please use bar or bat mitzvah in a sentence. Yes, sir. My son is about to become a bar mitzvah. Thank you. That's one. Okay. Another. I was so proud of my son at his bar mitzvah. Okay, another usage. Yes? I remember my bat mitzvah and I wanted to do it all over. I remembered my bat mitzvah and I wanted to do it all over. Again. Again. Other usages. How many of you ever heard this one? I remember when Rabbi Burke bar mitzvahed my son. Okay? Or... He is going to have his bar mitzvah in October. You got that? Now, this is the Salkin part about the grammar of bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah. Ready? Now, let me tell you Salkin's rule about this. Rule number one, there is a right way to speak about bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah. Number, rule number two, no one uses that. <laughs> rule number three, do not judge yourself too harshly if you violate rule number one, okay? But rule number four, this is big. The way we use language always creates a world. Am I right? So check it out. My son is going to have his bar mitzvah. What's wrong with that? Just, just go deep. What's wrong? Because you're not having a bar mitzvah. Good. The rabbi is going to bat mitzvah my niece. What's wrong with that? He's doing it. He's doing it. Right? What was that? He's what? what? It's not a verb. It's not a verb. Not a verb. It's actually a noun. And actually, Garrett got it right. But notice something, my dear friends. The part of the problem that I want to illuminate for you is this. 
The way we talk about bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah creates a moral universe for us. And this brings us to the world-famous Salkin pH plan. You follow this, and your life will be good, at least for a couple minutes. Because it's about how do we create meaning and memory. It is also about enjoying it versus the minutia of it. And it's about who's this for. Here's the deal. Ready? A lot of people believe, and kids believe, it's different in different communities, that bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah is a watch, a product that leads to a performance and that the ultimate payoff is the party. You got that? Notice how contemporary Jewish culture colludes in this. I can say this because I have been a rabbi for a number of years and I've seen this happen all over the place. There is a multi-gazillion dollar cottage industry that focuses around bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah. It may not be incredibly intense here in Phoenix, but it is very intense on the coasts. And yes, it's about the party, and it's about the clothes, and it's about the favors, and it's about all that stuff, right? And it should not take the moral energy of Judah Maccabee or Hannah Senesh to, in the words of Nancy Reagan, just say no. Now, here is something really important. Here's what most families don't do, but could. Most families are capable of actually doing an audit of their own values and saying, what do we believe as a family? How do we want to present ourselves as a family to our extended family and friends and the community? Can you imagine what would happen if people asked themselves that question? What do you think could emerge from asking that question? What could happen? Depends on the moral fiber of those you ask. It could, it could turn into almost like a, um, like a battle of, of, of parties because one wants to project themselves better than the party that happened before. You see, here's the deal, Garrett. That might be true. And that's, of course, the theme of the movie Keeping Up with the Steins. By the way, I've done a careful viewing of every movie in which a bar mitzvah happens. And this is what I will tell you. Uh, well, I'd like to say The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. That's an old one. Uh, you would have to watch that. I think Keeping Up with the Steins has a great deal of truth to it. But here's the deal. The constant theme in every movie in which a kid becomes bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah is that at a certain point, the kid runs away and rebels against the outer shell of what's happening. Do you see what I'm saying? It goes to, will my kid rebel or not? So let me just say this. Yes, your kid will rebel. Why? Because that's what kids do. The best thing you can do is... It would be a total waste of your time and energy as a parent if you didn't give your kid something to rebel against. <laughs> right? So you might as well give them the whole deal, Jewishly, and let them rebel. 
Because here's what's true about rebellion. A lot of kids rebel, but then they kind of come back in their own way. Don't sweat the big stuff. Why can I say this? I can say this because I have a son who's 32, who's married. I have a son who's 26, unmarried. They rebelled in their own ways. Yes, even being rabbi's kids, they figured it out on their own. It's okay. It ain't over till it's over. Okay? Don't worry about that. Number two, you should know something else about rebellious kids. Judaism began when Abraham rebelled against his father's idolatry and broke his father's idols. Judaism was, was sustained by Pharaoh's daughter, we got Passover coming up, who rebelled against her father, who was the Pharaoh, and saved the infant Moses and raised him in the palace. You got that? If it weren't for rebellious kids, we'd be nowhere. Let your kids rebel. They're allowed to rebel. But there should be a field in which they're allowed to rebel. We'll talk about that in a second. The big deal is this, about this is that the problem could be that we look at this as a product. And now let me say the following. One of the things that keeps me up at night, well, first of all, having coffee after 10 o'clock does it, is how much of contemporary Jewish life has been transvalued into consumerism, where we view our participation in the community as something that we buy. The bar mitzvah, the bat mitzvah experience is something that we buy. That is deleterious to what a community can be and should be. Let's go to the next P, which is performance. A lot of kids are totally freaked out that they might make a mistake. Okay? They might make a mistake in the Torah reading. They might make a mistake in reading the prayers. I read a wonderful Hasidic teaching uh, this week that says, essentially, and I will leave the pun out, that even our stuttering over the Torah is something that God loves. Even our mistakes. If our heart is in it, it's okay for our kids to make mistakes. This is not Salkin coming into town and saying, it's okay for your kids not to practice, prepare, and do their best. I'm merely saying, this is not a recital where they need to get every note right. This is leading a service, participating in a service. You got that? Now I'm going to tell you something else. I have come here from Florida to tell each and every one of you how to reduce your kids' anxiety about the barn bat mitzvah, quote-unquote, performance. You know how to do it? This works every time. I'm not being snarky, and your rabbis did not ask me to tell you this. Ready? Salkin's theory is simply this. By the way, I did my doctorate on bar mitzvah in America. That's how I know so much. I've written three books. My most recent one is called The JPS B'nai Mitzvah Torah Commentary. I worked on it for three years. It is a collection of, uh, of focus, uh, focus material on every Torah portion, every Haftarah, with sample divrei Torah in there and leading questions that kids can ask, and, kids are, and families are using it all over the country, and I'm very, very proud of it. But here's the deal. I have discovered the following. The more a family comes to synagogue and services in the year before the child's ceremony in which he or she celebrates being called to the Torah because they're becoming a bar mitzvah, the more you do that, guess what? Are you ready? The less the anxiety is. You know why? Because it becomes something that's part of your life. Look, what's the real religion in America? What's the real religion in America? When you get down to it, 
It's sports. It's consumerism and sports, right? Consumerism and sports. And so imagine if a kid is about to play a soccer game and has never been to a soccer game. Um, by the way, every time I say this, people say, you're right, that's totally crazy, okay? So in other words, the more you experience the synagogue in its organic form, the less you will see this as being a performance. And the third piece is the party. Now, I have a lot to say about parties. A lot of people think that I wrote Putting God on the Guest List, How to Reclaim the Spiritual Meaning of Your Child's Bar about Mitzvah, 1992. Uh, bestseller. I bought a lot of copies. <laughs> Some people think the reason I wrote that book was because I was just grumpy about what Jews were doing in terms of spending money on celebrations. Like when my older son got to college, a girl came over to him and said, is your father a rabbi? And he said, yes. Did your father write this book about bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah? And Sam said, yes. And she said, I hate your father. <laughs> he completely ruined my bat mitzvah. So I, I, had this, I had this national reputation, Jeff Salkin, the Grinch who stole bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah. Now, I will say this. There is an elegant Hebrew phrase, it is possible to disagree on matters of taste. The only thing I ask people to think about is, number one, are you spending more money than you can afford? Number two, does it seem that the importance of the party and the emotional stuff that you're putting into the party is outweighing the service? Because if I get back to Garrett here about meaning and memory, this is what I say to every single family. Ready? Jaime, no kid is named Jaime anymore. Sean, Sean will quickly forget everything he has eaten the day of the bar mitzvah. Or, let me put it to you this way, ready? IJF, it's just food. You rent food. Your kid will always remember their Torah portion. They'll remember what they said and they'll remember who was there. I now do something as part of our bar and bat mitzvah ritual. I ask the kid at the very beginning to just look at everyone who's there and just to take it in. And then I made up something on the spot a couple of weeks ago. This was so cool, or people told me it was cool. I turned to the kids who were there and I said, I'd like you to say something really wonderful about Spencer. What do you like about Spencer? No jokes. What do you like? And kids stood up and they said, he's a great sport. He's a good friend. He always has my back. And people are weeping. Right? And I turn to Spencer and I say, there aren't going to be many times in your life when you're just going to hear how well you're thought of. Soak it in. Okay? And by the way, you know what's really interesting? No one ever says he's so good at sports, even though he might be. It's just like, you know, that cliche that David Brooks in the New York Times writes about, where that, you know, we spend most of our lives developing our resume values, 
but we should be working on our eulogy values. Right? Most people in, in the eulogy are never extolled as being fantastic business people. We talk about what kind of person they are, right? No one ever has on their gravestone, I could have spent more time at the office. So what people are hearing, what kids are hearing, is what they are really thought of in a deep, powerful way. What are the midot? What are, what are the character traits that make this kid? The party becomes a problem when you spend too much and when the importance of the party outweighs everything else. The party at the end of the day, literally at the end of the day, is less important than the service, not because I'm the rabbi who's brought here to tell you that. It is simply, in 37 years of looking at this, very few kids ever look back on the party as being important. Just think about it for a moment. Think about your own bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah experience. What is most important in your own memory? Is it the service? Is it the people who were there? Is it the party? Is it the celebration? Think about what creates your own memory. And then I say to all the people who are in the sanctuary the following. You are responsible for creating this memory and this meaning for this child. That means you got to participate. And I tell them what they have to do. It means put, put away your phones. You're not allowed to play with your phones, okay? Just have an hour and a half of a phone-free zone, which itself, by the way, is heretical. I want Spencer, when he's 30, to remember people singing along. I need for you to be partners in creating that memory. These are all things, by the way, that if your rabbi doesn't say at the beginning of the service, I'm going to throw out an idea for you. I think we should say these things in the invitations. I think we should have the top four things you can do to make this day special for my kid. <laughs> number one, number two, number three, number four. So this is the 3P system of how we've come to view this. By the way, if I had more time with you, well, let me ask you a question. I don't know what, this, I don't know what the celebration style is out here in Phoenix, so I'm, I can guess. How many of you have been to some over-the-top bar about mitzvah parties? I'm shocked. Are themes still big out here? Themes? Oh. Look, if I wind up in the intracoastal with 20 bullets in my body, I want you all to know who did it. Because I'm going to say something that's going to mark me for death. Themes were invented by caterers to basically get you to buy things you don't need. Now, I'm going to tell you the three worst themes I've ever heard in my life. This is the funny part, okay? It's not really funny. It's kind of sick and demented. Who would like to hear the, first, the, the three worst themes I've ever experienced in my life? You have the opportunity right now to say, no, Jeff, it's okay. We don't want to hear. Okay. In a city that shall remain unnamed, unnamed Raton, Florida. <laughs> Anon Raton. At every table, there was a photograph 
of a guy like Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, <laughs> Louis Lepke Buckwalter, who ran a little hover on Brooklyn called Murder Incorporated. The theme was great Jewish gangsters. Number two, it gets worse. It gets worse. In a place on Long Island, I shall not say the name, Something Hills. Do you know the story? No. Oh, it gets great. The boy is pulled into the celebration on a chariot by four women wearing bikinis. The theme is Playboy. Oh. Now, now, by the way, Alava Shalom, by the way, I, when I talk about this when kids are there, I try not to, because some kids are writing this down. <laughs> it sounds good to me. The third one is actually, in some ways, the worst. Uh, a party where the theme was New York. All right. But the guests pull up. Uh, in front of the country club, and there are people dressed in rags huddled around fires, and they come and they squeegee off the cars as they come in. They are pretending to be homeless people. Now, it was, it was definitely BG, before Giuliani, right? Now they would simply have Mir de Blasio squeegeeing off the cars. Now, in each of these cases, moms and dads, I need for you to think about something. Case one, you know, dear, I've been thinking. Our son has had an interesting time in religious school. But one of the things that really bothers me is that they spend so much time talking about Abraham and Sarah, Rebecca, Isaac, Rachel, Jacob, Moses, Maimonides, Einstein, Golda Meir, and David Ben-Gurion. Don't you think they should be spending more time talking about the scum of Jewish history? Or part two, you know, hon, now that Myron is becoming 13 and about to go through puberty, I'm wondering what lessons about sexuality we should be teaching him. Because frankly, I've always, I've always had a dream that my son would grow up to be Harvey Weinstein. And she says, well, that sounds good to me, dear. How do we, how do we inculcate this value in our son? He said, well, I've been doing some research into informal education, and I've discovered that if the theme of the party was Playboy and he was pulled in on a chariot by women wearing bikinis, he would come to understand that women are essentially sexual objects. She says, sounds good to me, hon. Or the third one. Hun, don't you think we should be teaching our kids uh, that poverty is something to laugh at? I will not tell you about the party in which the kid sitting at the head table, and there, I can't even say this. Well, you have to know. <laughs> this is one of those stories that makes you, you know, as Thomas Jefferson once said, I fear for my country when I think that God is just. I fear for our people when I think that God is just. Because this is like a total Sodom and Gomorrah moment. Okay, The kid is sitting at the party, and there are these tall African-American men in loincloths fanning him. It really happened. Now, in each of these cases, I am simply saying to you the following. Parents, please, I want, you to, I want you to say this to yourselves because this is the most powerful thing I can teach you. I've been a parent longer than many of you, except you, you're a grandpa, right? Okay, so your kids are older than mine, all right? So you're here as a veteran. You tell me if I'm wrong. Ready? 
everything you do with your kids teaches something. Right? The corollary of that is nothing you do with your kids teaches nothing. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. So, I'm telling the story about the actors who've been hired to dress up as poor people sitting around the fire. And a kid raises his hand, again, another gifted Jewish child. He says, Rabbi Sulkin, I don't get it. If they had enough money to pay actors to dress up as poor people, comma, finish the sentence. Why didn't they just give that money to poor people? To which I said the following. I hope some of you can read Hebrew script. Dalit ayin 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 hey hey aleph, which spells duh. Now let's get back to the good stuff about bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah. Now that I've told you what it shouldn't be. Okay, is that all there is? No! Do not let your kids decide. Your kids can decide many things. There's a list of things your kids can decide. Number one, what they want on their pizza, unless you've got rules about that. Number two, what kind of sneakers to buy, unless you've got things about that. Number three, what they wear each morning. Number four, which video games they play, though sometimes we should be paying attention to that. Okay, there are other things you should let kids decide for themselves. Are you ready? Do not let your child decide his or her Jewish future. I know they're old enough at bar mitzvah, old enough to be connected to Judaism, old enough to do mitzvot. That's what bar mitzvah means. It doesn't mean son of mitzvah, which sounds like a bad sequel to a movie. Mitzvah and then son of mitzvah. No. Aren't they old enough to make up their minds? No. Your job is to create a literate Jewish kid. Remember, remember, if your goal is to have your kids rebel against something, they better have something to rebel against, right? Because you know what happens? Sometimes kids rebel against the nothing that they get, and they go in other weird directions. You know, they become born-again Christians, they become Jews for Jesus, they join a cult. I said to my kids the following, I don't care what you believe when you grow up. I don't care. You want to be an atheist, be an atheist. You want to be an agnostic, be an agnostic. You know, pious Jew says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The agnostic says, Shema Yisrael, I don't know Eloheinu, I don't know Echad. <laughs> the atheist says, Shema Yisrael, I deny Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. <laughs> so, I don't care. Do any of that stuff. But no kid of mine is going to be a Jewish ignoramus. So here's the deal. Ready? This is the Salkin. This is not original. This is called the educational plan. How many parents here have ever created a mission statement in their head about the kind of Jewish kid they want to create? Most people don't do that. It's actually a nice invitation. So it means, yes, you're staying in religious school as long as you can. Yes, I'm sending you to Jewish summer camp. Yes, you're going to go uh, to a nifty in Israel or some Israel, or, or high school in Israel, or you're going to go on March of the Living. You, you know what? You can't do too much. You just keep shoving transformative, 
Jewish experiences into their little brains and souls, and you know what happens? They get it. They may not get it exactly the way you once got it or would have wanted to get it. It's okay. They get it. They just do it. That's all. It's really very simple. Generations of Jewish parents have figured this one out. Do not let them decide. It's not their choice. I will tell you something. I started something in my synagogue because too many parents were giving their kids the choice. In a former synagogue, you'll hear why it's a former synagogue, the father came over to me and said, Rabbi, can you talk to my son about continuing after he's been mitzvah? He won't listen to me. And I said, be the daddy. Be the mommy, be the daddy. You want to you wanna play dead on some other issue? Go right ahead. Don't do it. Not, not on this one. I started something called TRIP, the Temple Rabbi Israel Program. And I basically said to each kid, I'm now paying you to stay in Jewish education. I'm going to pay you $7.50 an hour. You're not going to get the money. Here's your time card. Every time you come to synagogue to do something Jewish, bring the card to me or your teacher will sign it. In 11th or 12th grade, you get $7.50 an hour. And that will go to either Nifty in Israel, High School in Israel, which is a really big program in Florida, maybe big here as well, Alexander Musk, best high school program in Israel, or March of the Living, where kids go to Poland and Israel. So you earn that money. I pay, I'm going to pay for it. I pay for it out of my discretionary fund. And people give me money for it. I now do something else as well. But let me tell you what this is. My dear friends, this is a process with power and purpose. Any parent who views their kid growing up Jewishly as a process, as a journey, has already figured it out. You can't view it as a product. It's a process. And part of that process is... Yes, they learn Torah, but there's something else as well. Our kids need to be old enough to do mitzvot, which means tzedakah. And now I'm going to tell you something really radical. Ready? We Jews have this really interesting way of looking at the world. It's kind of this Zen thing. You know this one. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? But if I'm only for myself, what am I? You got that? What we call the particular and the universal. Particular is, I care about my particular people. Universal, I care about the world. I now spend a lot of time and energy telling kids and families the following. I'm going to share this with you as well. Every kid in our synagogue does a mitzvah project. Let me tell you about one of my great failures. Maybe you will succeed where I have failed. I say to every kid and family, if you do not do a volunteer project for the dogs of Broward County, Broward County Bow Wow. If you do not give money to the Fort Lauderdale Symphony, if you do not raise money for Let Us Fight Acne in our time, someone else will. But if you do not give money to the Federation or to a Jewish tzedakah, in one generation, that chain breaks. You understand what I mean? If we don't do it, there's not another group of people out there in Paris in, in, in uh, Paradise Valley? Why do they call it that? Because it's paradise. Okay, there's not another group of people out there who are going to rush in and do all the Jewish stuff for us. If we don't teach our kids how to give, they're not going to give, and it all falls apart. It's not true about every other tzedakah in the world. So now I do something else. I now give every kid at their bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah three blank checks that I've signed. I filled in the amount. 
And I said, your homework is to research three Jewish tzedakot, and I want your first act of writing a check to be writing a check to a Jewish organization. Just tell me what you do. That's how you do it. So we've done a lot today. We've done a lot. Let's breathe a little bit. I may have told you some stuff that is slightly new, or I've discovered in my years of talking about this topic that sometimes I don't tell people things that are new, but I do give people permission to believe what they've always thought. So questions or comments, some, some feedback. Let's talk about how we process this uh, as a group, because I got wild ideas for you. I got ideas for you that are tried and true, that have been used in other communities, that will change everything that you do. Yes, Doug, Craig. So are you stressing that our kids, of course, continue Judaism, but it confirmed? Is that something you yeah. still? Yeah, and beyond. I got rid of confirmation. You know why? I figured out the, most of the kids who are going to stay, they're going to stay for 10th grade, they'll stay for 12th grade. So I started something. Look, I like kids. So I started something. It's really, really very simple. Once a month, I take our 10th, 11th, 12th graders out for dinner. We go to a kosher restaurant in our area. Okay? You may have fewer kosher restaurants than we have. Most communities do. And we, it's a kosher restaurant because I'm a little nuts about things. It's not about kashrut. You know what it is? It's about I'm sitting at a table with seven or eight kids. And I got Orthodox Jews and Israelis who are coming into that restaurant. They know who I am. They know I'm a local reform rabbi. And they see me sitting there with a bunch of kids. And what's the message? Everything we do is a PR campaign for God. Right? So the second thing is we meet for dinner and we hang out. I used to teach. I still do sometimes. Look, you know, I'm in Broward County. Ready? Okay. We've been in the news. We're a half hour away from Parkland. That has changed the narrative. That's changed the whole story. The whole thing, right? It's changed the whole thing. It has, all of a sudden, we've got these kids, look, who are changing the world. I'm a little bit older than some of you, most of you, okay? When did you graduate from high school? All right, so you're seven years older than me. Bonnie, are we the same age? You're younger than me, okay? Shmuley's definitely younger than me. I said to a group of kids at a candlelight vigil a couple of weeks ago, I said to them, we have failed. Actually, we didn't try. We didn't try hard enough. It's now up to you. We'll help you. We'll stand by you. I said, when, when I was your age, when I was your age, we marched because we didn't want American kids to die in the jungle. You must now march because you don't want American kids to die in the classroom. That's the point. I said to a friend of mine, can you imagine, I'm a graduate of the 60s and 70s, can you imagine the struggle against the war in Vietnam if we simply had this? Can you imagine what it would have been like with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram? Imagine the 60s with the internet, right? So I say to the kids, we talk about things, and I realized something. It is 
my relationship with the kids that they are going to remember. That is actually the substance. Because the name of the game is when they get older, when they're your age, I want them to join synagogues so they can replicate for their kids the relationship they, that they had with their rabbi when they were kids. It's really, it's really very simple. So yes, confirmation, stay through high school, go to Jewish summer camp, do, it, do, do whatever you can. I am now promiscuous when it comes to that, which is to say, I think some programs are better than others, and most, very few programs are a zero, one, or two. Most programs are like a seven or an eight or a nine, okay? So if a kid goes to a seven, it's good, right? I'm not gonna micromanage what they do. Just do something Jewish, stay involved, and we'll figure out the rest when you grow up. Really very simple, sloppy and simple. Other questions or comments before we get to the exciting conclusion? Yes? I, just, I agree with everything that you've said. Thank you. And we have four children. This is our fourth. Third one, second one, did Shmuley's Musar program. She did AMHSI. She did everything. She's in stand with us and intern. The third one did not want to become a bat mitzvah. Did not, did not, and we butt heads. Why didn't she want to? She, first of all, she'll become a bat mitzvah by waking up alive on her 13th she, she birthday. Did, we, we made her. We said you can do it in Rabbi Capel's or Rabbi Mari's office, but this is not your choice. As Woody Allen said, we tried to beat God into him. You don't need to have a party, but we can, we can go in their office. And she decided that she was going to do it, I think, because she wanted the party. And the night of the party, she said, it was the best night of my life. I am so glad you made me do it. So can I tell you my dirty little secret? If you promise not to tell anybody... I also figured out, by the way, that in the movie, A Serious Man by the Cone Brothers, the bar mitzvah scene, the kid stoned and being called to the Torah as a bar mitzvah, I figured out exactly when that happened. This is a real interesting factoid. The, bar, the Torah portion was Bahar, the end of Leviticus, and the year was 1967, which means that the kid was bar mitzvah two weeks before the Six-Day War. Rewatch the movie. It's kind of cool. What I'm simply saying is this. Ready? If you say to your kid they don't have to celebrate becoming bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, they might become a reform rabbi. <laughs> Number two. I am a big fan of do it your way. Bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah even more so, but bar mitzvah is, oh, all of our traditions are invented. What are you kidding me, Jeff? It's something that kind of grew up in the Middle Ages. Okay. You know what? Do it your way. You want to do it in the rabbi's office, do it in the rabbi's office. You want to do it on the beach, do it on the beach. Okay? It's better to do it with a community. That's the best. 
It's good when kids know who their community is, okay? It's important for kids to have the experience because it's important for them to have it in their hip pocket to be able to go back to, okay? But there are kids in the Jewish world who grow up to have successful, productive, non-prison-oriented lives <laughs> who did not celebrate publicly becoming bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. Sometimes they do it later as adults, okay? Which is what I did. We have to lessen the anxiety around this. The, le the less we obsess, the happier our kids will be. It's just, just true about everything. Trust me, I know this. I, 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 went, through, I went through crazy kids, you know? And my kids really didn't rebel that much. They just did stuff their own way. Other questions or, or comments about what we have talked about uh, today, okay? Remember, it's not a product, it's not a performance, it's not the party, <clears throat> it's a process that has power and purpose, okay? If you view it as a process, if you say to yourself, we are going to immerse ourselves in this Jewish experience for as long as we can, given everything else that we have to do, and our goal is to create a kid who is connected. You know, the word mitzvah comes from the word tzavah, which means to command, but it also means to be connected. What's really interesting, you ever think about the word religion? You know what the word religion means? The word religion has the letters L-I-G in there, which is related to this thing you got in your body called ligaments. What are ligaments? There's gotta be a doctor here somewhere, right? What are the ligaments? It's the stuff that connects your bones to each other, right? Religion is the stuff that keeps us connected to God, to ourselves, to our community. And that's an important thing that we gotta do, okay? So in other words, it's our way of making sure that this, that this takes hold. And it means investing time. Now, freebie ideas. Some of these have actually worked around the country. In one community that I spoke at, um, a group of parents actually made a covenant with each other. They said two things. They said two things. Ready? Thing one. We are concerned about the insanity of celebrations in our community. We, as a, as a cadre, we as an entire group of fifth grade parents whose kids are growing up together, we thereby make a solemn covenant that we will invite all the kids to all of the parties and all the celebrations, okay? And number two, we're gonna keep the parties sane. Now what did that mean? It meant we're not gonna go until three o'clock in the morning. I see this happening. It means that we're gonna keep the music at a decent enough pitch and volume so you don't get laryngitis speaking to Aunt Sylvia, okay? It means that we're actually gonna monitor what's going on musically because frankly, I don't know how many people think about this, sometimes the lyrics of the songs that are played at bar and bat mitzvah celebrations I'm gonna take your mother, gonna tie her up. <laughs> These are not our values. I spend a lot of time telling kids and parents the following. I hate to make this a gender-specific conversation, 
but sadly it is. I ask moms to think critically and dads to think critically about what girls wear at celebrations and parties. It is not, as I say, that kids should have to look, and moms should have to look like Yentl, okay? But I think critically about what it means for us to push our kids prematurely into a pseudo-adulthood for which they are not ready. It's something to think about. I ask parents to think about the following. In some schools, the schools have banned the wearing of commemorative sweatshirts and sweatpants that have on them, I danced my off at Megan's bat mitzvah. And I tell parents the following. I don't care what your caterer says, do not order those sweatshirts. You know why? Here's something we don't teach our kids that much anymore. I see you nodding your head. What are you going to say? It is bad etiquette to boast about a party that you went to in the presence of people who were not invited. It only further divides the cool kids from the dweebs. And our job as a community is to protect the dweebs. I know entire cohorts of parents in some communities that have gotten together and they have said, this is going to be our joint aesthetic of celebration. How about this? This is amazing. The Schwartzes say to the Goldbergs, I know you've got people coming, right? Okay, so you know what? If We'll let some people crash at our house for the party. Okay, if, and they create like a co-op so that people wind up spending less money on hotels. Or they say, we'll take the kids. We'll just have all the kids in the playroom. And they could sleep on the, all of a sudden, prices start going down. Travel expenses start going down. And you want the best one? I know of one synagogue where the parents in fifth grade got together and they took the following solemn pledge. I will not be the first to let my kid drop out after bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah because nothing is a theological buzzkill better than letting your kid walk away right after Ein Kelohenu. And unfortunately, my friends, that is what so much of American Judaism has become. As bar mitzvah has become more important, it has become less significant. And we have to fight that trend. One last question before I tell you a final story. The books are called Putting God on the Guest List, How to Reclaim the Spiritual Meaning of Your Child's Bar or Bat Mitzvah. The kids' version is called For Kids, Putting God on Your Guest List. It is written in kid language. And the third one is the JPS B'nai Mitzvah Torah Commentary, which has ideas for Divrei Torah for kids. In fact, any one of you have a kid who was here for a lesson earlier today? Because I, I ran into this kid, and he told me what his Torah portion was, and I gave him a, I gave him a free Dvar Torah idea. And he said, yeah, I'm going to use that. I said, go right ahead. It's free. What was the Parsha? 
It was Bamidbar. It was about how everyone counts. I said, now kids know that they count. He said, wow, can I use that? I said, yes. I said, yeah. So there were these two kids in the community who were juvenile delinquents, seven years old and 10 years old. Everything bad that happened in the community could be blamed on them. Hold on a second. My son is texting me. Hold on. Just got to say, hold on one second. Finally, the mother, having completely exhausted every well-known child psychologist in the area, was told about a great rabbi who had a wonderful way with kids. And so she took her kids to see the great rabbi. And the great rabbi said, I will see the older one first. The 10-year-old comes into her office. She looks at the kid. The kid looks at her. She says, I have one question for you. Where is God? And the kid said, I don't know. So I'm going to ask you again. Where is God? And the kid said, I don't know. And she raised her voice and she said, where is God? And with this, the kid runs out of the rabbi's office, runs to the lobby, finds his little brother. The kid is, what's, what's the matter? What's happened? We are in big trouble. I said, what? God is missing. <laughs> and she thinks we did it. Well, my friends, if God is missing, it's because we did it. And if God's going to come back, it's because we're going to bring God back as well. May I be the first, though not the last, person to wish all of you a wonderful, sweet Pesach. And I want you to remember something. There's a reason why we have the kids open the door for Elijah. It's because it's the kids who bring us to that moment where we can imagine the messianic age coming. That's what's going to happen on March 24th. Kids all over this country are going to open the door for Elijah. I hope that your kids are among them or that you know kids who are there, but we have a lot of work to do in this country, and Judaism can make it real. Thank you, everybody. Oh! <laughs> oh my god! Is that your question too? Yes. Yeah. Okay, this is the Salkin philosophy of life. All of Judaism can be summed up by three H's. Ready? Three body parts. Which ones do you think they are? Head, which is intellect and learning. Heart, which is spirituality and prayer. And hand, which is activism. You got that? Now, here's what I know. Everybody majors in 1H. How many people here are head Jews? You like to learn. How many people are head Jews? How many people are heart Jews? You like to pray. And how many people are hand Jews? You like, you like activism. Okay. Now, here's the deal. Ready? Rarely in Jewish history, actually, Shmuley Yankowitz might be one of those people. Heschel was another, maybe Elie Wiesel was the third, and I don't know who the fourth is. It is very rare in Jewish history that anybody 
gets all three H's. You can't. You usually major in one, you minor in the second, and the third one, you just can't pull together. Right? How many people know what their minor H is? Okay? Here's the beauty. A community is comprised of people who have different H's. We are a jigsaw puzzle. And so you're going to sit next to someone who has the H you don't have. That's a good thing. Our main job as parents, ready, is to help each of our kids find the H that they major in, the H they minor in, and to not drive themselves crazy about the missing H. That's all you got to know. Thank you, everybody. A good pass off. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.